0: Well, this morning starts officially our, um, well, last summer, or last week started our official summer um, season, but this week we start our new summer series, and uh, just want to kind of let you know what's going on. As you may notice, uh, if if you weren't here last week, that for the summer, um, our elementary age kids, anyone five five and up, gets to be in here with us during the whole time. Um, whereas normally during the school year, up through grade six, it has faith kids. And so um, this summer, we're going to be going through the Psalms. We did this a couple years ago. Um, we'll be covering different Psalms, but we'll just, each week, um, we will we'll take a different Psalm and just kind of walk through that together. But before um, we do that, I want to pray, and then I just want to um, kind of show how there's a really interesting transition here um, between... Between our last series on the Sermon on the Mount and as we kind of go into the Psalms. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. As always, Lord, we pray that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that you would search our hearts and show us if there is any unrighteous way in us. Lord, knowing that you meet us with grace and mercy and forgiveness and also power to walk in the identity that you have already secured for us. So Lord, let us hear your word. Let us understand with renewed minds and and love with renewed hearts that we might live lives of abundance, glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, before we jump into, we're going to be in Psalm 3 today, so you can, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can jump there. But before we jump into that, I, I wanted to just um, say one more thing about the last series and how this transitioned. So one of the things I've gotten a lot of feedback about with the Sermon on the Mount is just how convicting the series was. And I'm with you. Like It was convicting to prepare and convicting to preach and to hear and it's because the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount are, are just so they're just so convicting, just on their own. They're they're easy to understand intellectually, but so hard to receive and certainly hard to live out. And yet we tried to point out that the difficulties around, like why the Sermon on the Mount is so challenging to us is because Jesus is declaring what the kingdom of God is like. And that confronts our own kingdoms. And so we don't like it because it pushes against our kingdoms. And so all of those difficulties actually are pretty much solved with one simple question. Is whose kingdom are you a part of? And that's the question he poses several times in the Sermon on the Mount and telling what the kingdom of God is like. And it's important because what we don't see in the Sermon on the Mount is actually anything that's bad news. Meaning, when we read it, yes, it's challenging, but if you stop and look at the picture that Jesus is painting of the kingdom and that way the world is supposed to work, who wouldn't want to live in that world? There's a reputation about Christianity that's just about it's stuffy and about these rules and about all these different things, but if you look at how Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom, who would not want that? I mean, imagine a world where people were meek and humble when people easily and fully forgave one another as they had been forgiven where anger and lust did not destroy right where there was no judgment where people treated others the way they would want to be treated who would not want that of course we want that world that Jesus is offering so what keeps that from happening? Well, it's the presence of evil. So the pushback is always, yes, of course, I would love to live in a world where people forgive, but we are in this world and where people wrong me and where there's injustice and it's hard. Yes, it would be great. Of course, we'd love to turn the other cheek, but, but what do we do when we want vindication? And we often point outside of ourselves and say, when the world out there becomes good and becomes like the kingdom, then I will live as a citizen of the kingdom. And when you say it like that, it sounds pretty strange, right? Like the followers of Jesus would say, I mean, imagine the disciples going around Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, I will totally live the way you're calling us to live as soon as all of, they, all of them do. What do you think Jesus would say to his disciples? See, they're the ones who are to lead out in that. That's why we are salt and light. See, we miss the point when we point outside and we say, yeah, I can't live this way that Jesus has called me to live because the world is the way the world is. And yet what Jesus is saying, it's because the world is the way that it is that I'm calling you to live as citizens of my kingdom. And so we are called to live like citizens of the kingdom, live like this in the midst of the world. That's why we are in the world, but not of the world. The call of the children of God is to be citizens of his kingdom in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. And in doing that, we draw people's attention to God and they glorify him. It's why we don't retaliate. It's why we don't repay evil with good because the kingdom of God will never come through the means of the kingdom of darkness. And so we know that the trials we face are to be expected. This is why we are not to be surprised. This is why Jesus says the world will hate you. Because he's preparing us that this is what this life is. After all, how could you demonstrate the forgiveness of God if you were never wronged and so able to forgive others? Right? How could you ever manifest the mercy of God if you either refuse to give mercy or are never in relationship with someone who deserves judgment? How could you ever show the surpassing worth of Jesus if you did not have to give up everything to follow him? How could you ever communicate the depth of joy in Christ if you never suffered? How could you express the contentment found only in Christ if you never went without worldly things? So all of the times that we question, God, where are you, are often the times where we're saying this is, Is what I saved you for, to be salt and light in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. And as we turn our attention to the Psalms, we find David in a very similar situation, wondering how do I follow God? How do I trust God when there's all this evil around me, when everyone is against me? How do I show mercy when others seek to harm me? How do I trust you, God, and see that you are light when there's darkness all around me? The situation that we find David in in Psalm 3 is it's after David's horrible sin against Bathsheba and killing Uriah, trying to cover everything up, and in the midst of that, his house is in disorder. His, his children are, are straying, and all leads eventually to his son Absalom murdering his brother and trying to take the throne from his father, and the rebellion is working. The culture is shifting away from David and toward Absalom. More and more people were following him and David's numbers were decreasing. And eventually David is forced to flee, to leave his throne in shame and run from his son whom he loved. And it's in this fleeing that we see David write Psalm 3 and we see a shift in David's character and his nature back to God we're going to see how David cries out. And we're going to see how God answers him. And we're going to see David rejoice. So Psalm 3 starts verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes, David says. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. So David has many enemies. Like we just said, his his whole household, like the kingdom is turning against him. The people who had loved him. There were some in his household who stuck with him, but it seems everywhere he turns, more and more people are turning against him and joining Absalom. Think about how painful that would be. These are not enemies that you don't know. These are not enemies from far and wide, from other nations, from other people. These are the very people that you have loved and served and protected turning against you again and again led by your own son i think it's safe to say there's incredible grief as david calls out and maybe maybe you can relate we've had a season where we've had a lot of people coming to faith in christ for the first time and a common story that they tell is one of the struggles is people kind of turning against them as they try to pursue Jesus people that they had known people they were excited to share the gospel with or people who um, were maybe even going to church and they would share those things and and then they feel kind of ganged up on feel turned on like well who do you think do you think that you're perfect now do you think are you judging me like you've done all the same things that I've done and they receive these attacks and it's discouraging Maybe you can relate to David and feeling like the deck is stacked against you and it's one thing after another after another. But what's interesting too is he points out that many are saying of my soul there's no salvation for him in God. They're spreading rumors about him. They're saying there's no salvation for him. That's another way of saying God has abandoned him. God has turned his back on him. God is no longer favoring David. It's one of the reasons why they're following Absalom. Like maybe God's like just abandoned David. And it's possible that David is wondering the same thing. I mean, his greatest fear is believing that maybe God has turned against him. Maybe he did wonder. Maybe he did question. Maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe God has forsaken me. In fact, when they bring the ark with him, when he first flee, and David says, no, take the ark back. Because maybe God has just abandoned me. If God looks on me in favor, then I'll return and I will see the ark again. But if not, then whatever is pleasing to the Lord. Maybe he felt that this was all punishment for the sin in his household. Or maybe just the natural consequences of things. We don't know. But what we do know is that in the midst of all of that grief and all of that fear, he cries out to God. He doesn't pursue other means of dealing with this. He doesn't go and try to fix it himself. He doesn't go and try to find a bigger army to defeat his son. He cries out to God. So maybe you feel like a similar situation And you find yourself kind of rotating between anger at God and guilt over your past. But just know then that David has been there. And he cries out to God. And as he cries out to God, in verse 3, he preaches to himself. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. And we We talk a lot here about preaching to ourselves, like the importance of, yes, we grieve, yes, we struggle with things, we cry out to God, we want to be transparent in our crying out to God. But then we also want to preach to ourselves, to proclaim truth, to not let those cries turn into um, an opening for the enemy to lie to us and to say like, yeah, you're right, you're not you're, you're not fit for God. God has abandoned you, but rather to cry out and then to preach to yourself. So David cries out all this, like all my enemies are against me. They say, God, that you have forsaken me. But then he preaches, he says, But you, O oh Lord, this is what I know. Now notice here, he doesn't feel it yet. He knows it. He said, Lord, this is what I know. You are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. You're a shield. He said, I know this about you. You're my refuge, my protection. This isn't just a shield like we think of a a shield, but the word here is actually more of a 360 degree encompassing. It'd be like being in a bubble. Like you're surrounded on all sides by this shield. He says, I know this. You are a shield. There's no angle that is left exposed to the enemy." He says, You are my defender. You can hear these echoings later. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he says, You are, Lord, what I know is you are my shield. You are my defender. He says, You are my glory, my victory, where I would rejoice, where I would boast trusting in your victory. You are my glory and my victory, not my kingdom. So this is important. Like he's also declaring this, Lord, you, the victory is in your hands, not mine. It's not my ability to defeat my enemies. You are the one. If you want to restore me to the kingdom, you will restore me to the kingdom. If you do not want to restore me, then you will do whatever is good and right for you. The victory belongs to you and you are my victory. Whatever happens, David knows that the Lord will not forsake him. He belongs to the Lord, and that is his victory. So he declares that. You are my shield. You are my glory. And he says, you are the lifter of my head. David's head, as he flees the kingdom, is hung in shame and sorrow and grief. And he wonders all of these things, but he says, no, no. You lift my head. Now, this is critical. Don't miss this. What turns the tide for David as he is declaring these things and praying these things out loud and preaching to himself is not remembrances of his victories. Notice he doesn't say to himself, well, hey, we've been through this before. Remember Saul chasing us all over? We survived that. We survived Goliath. God never gives you anything more than you can handle. He absolutely does, by the way. If you want to talk more about that, I'd be happy to, but my life is a walking testimony of him constantly giving me more than I can handle. And so David doesn't encourage himself with any of that. He says, you lift my head. He doesn't encourage himself with all the evil that Absalom has done and how he is good and how he is favored. And he's the good guys and they're the bad guys. And God won't let the bad guys win. He says, you are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. And that pushes against us because we want to be our own shield. Our instincts are to defend ourselves, to fight fire with fire. But David cries out, the Lord is our shield and our defender. We want to claim our own victory. We want to be our own glory. We want our glory to be in vindication here on earth, in victory over our circumstances. We want earthly victories, but the Lord is our victory. And we we want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to lift our own heads. We want to find confidence in boasting ourselves. Like, look at all the things that I've gone through in my life, and I've overcome all of them. Like, I've had this strength. I've had this faith. But it is the Lord who lifts your head. And by the way, I hope that is a great encouragement to those of you who feel like I couldn't lift my head if I wanted to. You don't have to. It is the Lord who lifts your head. Whatever season you find yourself in, preach the truth of God to yourself as part of crying out, even if your heart isn't there, and declare these things about him. And David does that. I this is my situation. These are my circumstances. I'm crying out to you, God. But this is what I know is true. And he calls out and God answers him. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. And many here will say, that's my problem. Jay, that, that is my problem. I have cried out to God and he hasn't answered me. That's why I'm struggling. That's why I don't believe. And I understand that feeling. And I think David would understand that feeling. And here's what I would want to just gently say. That maybe the problem isn't that God isn't answering you. Maybe the problem is you don't like the answer he's giving. And you're only hearing, you're only listening for one answer, and you're missing everything else that he's saying to you. And I get it. I mean, have you ever been in a situation with somebody where where you're trying to explain to them why you did something or why you think something, and they just keep coming back of like, you're not listening to me. And what they really mean is, you don't agree with me. If you were listening to me, you would agree with me and you would do what I'm asking you to do. Have you been there? I would just submit that that is often what, how we just would describe our prayer life if we're honest. God, here is my list of things that I think need to be done and I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do them. And we equate that with him answering us. But what if the better statement and the better question to ask ourselves is, Instead of saying, God, are you listening? To turn it back on ourselves and say, self, am I listening? Like maybe God is actually listening. Maybe the problem isn't that God isn't answering. Maybe the problem is that you and I aren't listening. Because we only hear what we want to hear. And when we don't hear what we want to hear or see what we want to see, we think he's gone. Unless your idea of prayer should be just telling God what you want to have happen and Him doing it. And can I just tell you, it's really good news that He doesn't operate that way. We've talked about this before, but you know in the, any movie that has a genie, you know where you can make three wishes, right? Like kids, if any of you saw the terrible remake of Aladdin, go back and watch the original because it's way better by, at every level. But, um... <laughs> But whenever you have a genie and you're going to make like those three wishes, like anytime there's a movie like that, there's always some kind of trick that happens, right? Because you have to be careful because someone will wish for something and the genie will be like, aha, and they'll grant the wish, but it's not actually what they wanted. Like I want a million bucks. And then they end up looking out there and there's a million deer out in their backyard, right? Which some of you would be like, that's exactly what I was asking for, a million bucks. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. So, um, but most of the time like, you say, no, that's not what I wanted. And so isn't it good that God doesn't function that way with us? Like, isn't it good that you can just have the freedom to cry out to God and just tell him all the things you think you want, all the things you're afraid of, all the things you're frustrated by, all the things, and that he's not going to be like, well, you told me to take him out. Like, you told me, like, you wish something bad would happen to him, so I did it. Like, can't blame me. No, God, like a wise and good father, listens to us. And he says, child, I hear you. This is what I'm saying to you, because I love you. Praise God that He handles all of our junk and He hears it and He answers the questions that we should have asked. He gives us the desires that we truly have. And David knows this and so He cries and He cries aloud, by the way. And I do just want to point this out that I cried aloud. Now, I become convinced that, yes, of course, God hears our silent prayers. Of course, he hears the cries of our heart. That is 100% true. But especially in a culture that tends to be a little quieter than some other cultures that, that I've been in, I want to just say like, there's something really valuable and powerful about declaring out loud. Right? That's why we sing out loud. Sometimes we pray out loud. I remember one time praying that God would, would deliver me from just this mental, like from some of the depression that I was battling and I, and I was praying and people were praying for me and the friend that I had that was praying with me, he said to me, he said, you need to say it. You need to ask. And I was like, well, you just asked for me. And he just felt really strongly, you need to ask. And I did. And it was different. So sometimes like when I'm in counseling, I'll tell people, you need to ask for this. Cry out loud and tell him. It's partly, again, what we do when we sing. We get to sing. We're going to sing this psalm at the end of this, and I'm just going to encourage you to just sing it out. I don't care how bad you are at singing. A lot of us are bad at singing, but it's beautiful. It's only beautiful here, though, by the way. Not, not like <laughs> other places, not so much. But here, It's beautiful. And so you cry aloud and then listen. Listen to him. And some people say, like, well, how do you hear him? How do you know that it's him? And the most basic and simplest way I can give you to do that is to read his word and to pray it back to him and then listen for his voice. Jesus says that my sheep will know my voice. So he empowers you in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you have professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and committed your life to being in his kingdom, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you have the ability to hear him. If you don't hear him, That's just probably due to a lack of practice, like all of us struggle with. So practice and listen, and the best way I have found to practice is to read his word and to pray it back to him. And then as I'm hearing that voice and listening, I say, does that sound like something he says? Does that sound like him? Is that voice one that sounds like the words of life that I've read and poured over in scripture or is that a voice that is accusing and shaming and demanding or a voice that offers like false promises of riches in the world and things that are not of him so practice that but one thing I can tell you is if you cry out he will answer you and he answers David and this is how Verse 5, I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the, wor- the Lord sustained me. That's how he answered him. And you might be thinking, that's not a very good answer, Jay. He fell asleep and then he woke back up. And then he says, I'm not afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You might be wondering, like, what kind of dream did David have there? Like, you fell asleep. Like, what happened, David? You went to sleep, and you weren't sure about any of this, and you woke up, and now all of a sudden, you're not afraid of anything? And I would just submit that, yes, that's exactly what happened. It is often in the simplest of things that we find our greatest courage. It's the consistency of God that we take for granted that is the source of of our courage. It is the sun rising every morning that reminds us of his mercies, that even when it is dark, light is coming. He reminds us of that idea of darkness and light shining into the midst of darkness every single day of your life. Every breath you breathe in and breathe out is a constant reminder of how God in creation breathed life into us every single breath isn't this what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount when he said do not be anxious about anything he didn't point to the big battles he didn't point to the sun standing still for a day he doesn't point to David and Goliath he doesn't point even to the Red Sea what does he point to the birds of the air It's like every day, every day you see those birds gather food and eat. Let it remind you that I will give you food to eat. Every day you see those lilies clothed. So don't worry about what you'll wear. It's in the simplest and most mundane things of life that I found that God is speaking the loudest every single day. And for David... It is in falling asleep and waking back up that he realizes the Lord sustains me. So who do I have to be afraid of? And it gives him courage. It says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Some of you might be reading that and seeing that and be like, all right, finally, we get to some real stuff. All that other stuff feels a little soft, but now we're gonna get to see God break the teeth of the wicked. That's what I'm about. Can I just tell you? It doesn't really mean what you think it means, maybe. Like, this is not a, God, okay, go get them. Like, now that I know you're with me and against them, go and take care of them. That's not what this prayer is. And we know that because eventually Absalom... Is killed. And David's people run to tell him, thinking that he would rejoice over the death of his son who'd become his enemy. And David does not rejoice. He grieves. He is broken over it. Because David does not take joy in the death of his enemies. Because God does not. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? David's desire is not that his son would be destroyed, but that he would be redeemed. And that should be our deep desire for those who would attack us, that is how you love your enemies you love them and say oh, that you would turn to not delight in destruction but to turn to say turn and be healed that would be our desire so then what does he mean by breaking of the teeth well simply it's this idea of like comparing your enemies with wild animals that seek to attack you And the breaking of the teeth basically means to render them harmless and ineffective. It would be like taking the venom out of a snake. So that, yes, the snake can still bite and it still can hurt, but the venom and the poison that can destroy is gone. And that's what God does. He breaks the teeth of death so that it has no sting. He breaks the teeth of Satan because he has no power over you if you belong to him. He breaks the teeth of the wicked because they cannot separate you from God. He breaks the teeth of the nations that would oppress his people because they cannot destroy them. And there's something really powerful that happens when you go through the darkest of valleys and you realize that nothing can truly harm you, that Christ is enough. And many of you have that testimony here. And David is declaring, whatever his enemies do to them, they can't cause me any lasting harm because the Lord is with me. He is my victory. He is my shield. He is my salvation. And so he sleeps. And friend, I know that you are with me when you realize that we will never have accomplished enough or secured ourselves enough or controlled enough of our circumstances to be able to sleep soundly. And at peace. It is only when our soul finds rest in him that we are able to sleep like that. And only when our heart finds courage in him that we can live abundantly without fear. So do not be afraid. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that's his conclusion. He's cried out and God has answered him through giving him peace and courage. And David rejoices, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And by the way, this is his promise for his people. This is what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Which kingdom are you in? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be a part of two kingdoms. But if you belong to the Lord... And your salvation is in him. Your victory is in him. And your blessing is on you because of him. So whatever you find yourself in, whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning, I encourage you, cry out and listen. Listen, don't determine whether he's listening to you or whether he's answering you based on whether he is giving you the answer that you want, but trust him and rejoice and listen for him and hear him and then rejoice in that. He is your shield. He is your victory. He lifts your head. This morning I had a different conclusion from this and I was in the office and I had a letter in there and I opened it and I was going to like, uh, I thought, oh, I'll read this after church when I have more time to read it because it felt fairly big. And instead, I, I just decided to read it. And these are the kinds of things that you just say, okay, God, I'm not going to read all of this. I did ask for permission and was given it. I suppose I could ask for permission and not be given it. And if I just said I, was a- I asked for permission, but I was given it just share a couple pieces of this, of what this person's journey has been like lately with the Lord. And you'll see why I thought this is a much better illustration than the ones that I had come up with. This is a prayer that they wrote. God, it is so easy to sin and self-destruct This is how I think. And there's a whole list of things that they think, but a few of them are, I'll come to God, and see if you relate to these. I'll come to God when I sin no more. I'll help out at church when my lack of confidence is gone. I'll pray more when I sound like someone who prays well. I'll trust God when I have it easy. I'll talk to God when he answers my why's. I'm sure I'll sleep well when my past doesn't haunt me. And there is a whole list. And this person says So I was driving around saying, Lord, please help me. And God very clearly asked me how many Bibles I had. And I said, God, you know a lot. And He said, Then go look and I got home, and here I am, and I'm going to look. And these are the passages. The Lord brought to mind and answered. they said at the end Lord thank you for your word I've never been this transparent with you God I feel like you've wrapped your arms around me and told me everything will be okay you opened my eyes Lord please help me accept and expect hills and valleys don't let me forget that in my toughest seasons I cried out to you and I was never alone you are always with me Thank you, Lord, for sanctifying me. These are the stories that are around you right now. These are the stories that are around you right now of people crying out and saying, Lord, and what I love about this, I've never been this transparent. And this person said to me, this has changed my life. Never been this transparent. If I could get anything across, I'd say just cry out, be transparent, stop telling God what you think He wants you to hear or what, you, what he, you, you think he wants you to say or what he wants to hear. He wants to hear your heart because he already knows it. Cry out and then through the strength of the word, preach to yourself. I know this is true. Even if I'm not there yet, even if I don't feel yet, I know this is true. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then listen to him. He will answer you. And then Rejoice. And realize that the treasure is that he is with you. And he will not leave you or forsake you or be separated from you because he has you. And when he has you, what do you have to fear? You will sleep soundly because he is your rock. He is your salvation. He is your shield He is your glory, and he lifts your head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that these things are true. Thank you, God, for the work that you are doing in the lives of our people. God, thank you that this letter came in before this sermon was preached that nobody could credit anything that I said today. Lord, this is what you have done in people's lives. Holy Spirit, you are doing this in people's lives and we give you the glory and the praise and the honor. It is not to us. It is not to anything that we are doing. It is because your people are crying out and they are listening to you. And so we declare that, Lord Jesus, you are king. We want to be in your kingdom. We fight against the sin that is in us. We recognize and confess that the evil is not out there. It is in our very hearts. Lord, cleanse us of it. Let us pursue you so that we might be salt and light, that we might demonstrate your great love, your great mercy, your great forgiveness, your power. Lord, let us cry out to you and listen and then follow you into life everlasting. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to you, our Father. Amen.